0: Thanks, team. That's awesome. Um, it's always a pleasure, it's always a joy to be, you know, in the presence of God among his people. To be able to sing before him without any restraint, without anything that um, holds you back. And there's nothing that can compare with that experience What we had this morning, even as we were worshipping, is an event. It's not just a meeting of people coming together. It's an event because we had with us, in us, and among us, none other than him, the God of the universe. And such a privilege, such an honor to be with him. Um, Good morning, you all. Um, I'm Noel, I'm on staff at the RAC. Um, I'd like to to take this morning to talk about something that we have all experienced in one way or the other. Um, If the slide is not up yet, but would we be able to get the slides up? Yes. (laughs) Um, That picture caught my eye while I was going over and trying to look for an appropriate image. And I think even without the title on there, you'll be able to see, um, just looking at the picture of what we're about to look at this morning. Um, there's something about children, the younger they are, the less they know, the more helpless they are. It seems that the more authentic they are in the way they express this particular experience and emotion. No. Um, and this is something that we all are familiar with, you know, whether you're old or young, um, regardless of where we are at life, awe and wonder is something that we have experienced in one form or the other. So I'd like to start by asking us just a couple of questions to get you thinking. Um, when was the last time you were in this state? When was the last time you found yourself beholding something of so beautiful That seems like time ceased to exist. So, when was the last time you felt that you were, you know, you lost your breath or just have a hard time even holding onto the breath that you had? When was the last time you had, um, you felt like a fish out of water, you know, being in the presence of someone that's so awesome, someone so big, you know, that your mind cannot even hold together? When was the last time you were so inspired, so moved? You know, When someone said a word out of the blue or gave you a hug, hug that you didn't expect, or someone did something for you that you never re- even experienced or realized? When was that? It could be a year, it could be a few months ago, it could even be just a few minutes ago. You know? What I'm saying is about awe oh, and wonder, and There are, I said, it's it's a universal experience, a universal feeling. People experience awe and wonder, and it defines, you know, if you look at, try to Google what it means. It says awe and wonder are our own responses to a larger reality. It's it's something characteristic of how we respond to beauty, to things of the natural world, to the feats of body and mind. It's always associated with an experience of the divine, an experience of something that's bigger. It's it, it's a combination of feelings, you know. When we are in that state, we find ourselves um, in mixing of longing, of joy, you know, um, even a sense of fear because of the mystery that is before us. But these are. Feelings and as what you know, Brother Paul shared last time. Feelings, God has made us social beings. He's made us feeling people who can feel and react, and that's for us express purpose. He created everything in the world for a, a, a very clear purpose, and that is to give Him glory. You know, whole, the whole of creation is created to reflect God, to bring glory back to the Lord, and so it, it, the same things with feelings as well, awe um, oh and wonder is meant for us to look back at the one who created all things, to look back at the creator and see who he, who he is and what he is supposed to be. Um, there are re- there's a reason for that. And I think if you look at, um, there are people who are studying what this awe oh and wonder does. But those of us who are who know him, know what it's for. Um, there's a, uh, I think, uh, uh, in the University of Berkeley, they had an experiment of two groups of students. They got one group of students looking at beautiful pictures, you know, awesome sights, and going to the museum and stuff. And they had a, another group of students who were asked to just look at ordinary stuff, you know, the hallway, a facade of a building. And they get these two students' groups to fill up something, a form that says, I am blank. And, and what they found out, which we all already know, is that those who look at ordinary stuff tend to write things like, I am the captain of the you know, the baseball team. I am uh, studying to be a teacher. I am sad. I am depressed. I am I'm, I'm doing things. But those who were inspired ended up identifying with the one that they were in awe. So they wrote things like, I am a human being. I am... A created person, I am part of the world. I am happy to be alive to experience. And so when you are in that point of awe, we experience what we call a period of self-forgetfulness. We do that right? We, we don't think about ourselves, we think about the one before us, and our mind cannot comprehend. You know what is before, before us and we experience that. And the other thing is they saw that those who experienced that sense of awe were more than likely to also pick up a pen that was dropped. Not only do people experience that period of self-forgetfulness, they also had become more altruistic in their expressions. Selflessness as well. And that is spoken of in the scriptures. When we see God We identify with God. And like the song says, you know, as as I see the Lord, you know, everything fades away. And all I long is to be like him. All I long is to be with him, to be with his people. The other thing, another experiment that they did, they also found out that people who were stressed tended to have chronic illnesses, right? And that's because it traced it to certain things in the blood, enzymes or hormones. But they found out that people who were old had less of those markers than those who were not old. And so, oh, and wonder is good for your health. <laughs> it is good for your health. But when? If it's taken within the context of what God has created. So everything has a purpose. You know, There is an order in creation. God has created everything that is for a specific order, and if that way, if that order is followed, then you will reap the full benefits of it. So even knowing that it's good for your health, um, what does that mean? We cannot be swimming with the whales every day. you know. We cannot, can we, we cannot be climbing Mount Everest every day or going to all the sites in the world, in the cities that we want to, because even the cost of that would not be good for our health. Just thinking about it. But there is a way; he has created that, and that is free, and that is open, and that is available to all, and that is for him, you know. But you know, when you look at kids again, looking at kids, you we when they are kids, you know, the less they know, they are they seem to be in awe of everything. But as they grow up, some things change. What is this thing that seems to have um, caused people as they grow up to lose that magic, that sense of wonder? Um, there could be a variety of reasons. You know, if, if you go to Mount Everest every day after a while, it loses its, its, its significance. And that is more than, it's not about the thing that you're in awe of. It's actually a condition of your heart. As we become familiar with the thing that is before us, we start to lose interest. Yeah. Our eyes get strayed to something else and we start looking for something else. And so the familiarity plus against probably it's, it's that sense that we know. So we, we know about this already. So this is not something that I'm keen to look more deeply anymore. So the more we know of stuff and the more we think we know of stuff, then the magic starts to disappear. So we, our heart, therefore, starts to become hard, maybe callous towards the thing, the beauty that's before us. It could be just life. You know, life comes and it overtakes, and we tend to become busy with the things that are before us, and we start. We fail to see the beauty of all the things that he has. We fail to see it the way he speaks to us in little things, to little to people and to the people the people around us. And so there are times also as well is as you grow, you lose that wonder. You know, there's the fear that develops. Have you seen a baby that screams as a mother or father approach? It should be frightening for the baby, right? To see a giant comes, pinches the face and with all these loud noises and sounds. But no, the baby doesn't know that. But it seems that as we grow older, we take on a wholly different attitude. When we come to something that's totally outside of our perspective, rather than be as a child, and run towards it, we run away. But he is not someone that we should be running away from. He comes to us and he wants to surprise us in every area. So what is oh? God Created all for himself. And there's no other person that's worthy of all, worthy of adoration, worthy of worship except him. You know, he said the whole creation, um, he speaks of himself as I am the Lord, there's no other. You know, I created everything. You know, there's no name under heaven on earth that has to be bowed down and worshiped except the name of the Lord. All saints, the whole of creation would sing of his praise from generation to generation, forever and ever. You would think that maybe after 400 years, people would run out of words to say of the Lord. But no, because that's how he is. He is all-surpassing. There's no words that can describe him. He's always there. He's always... Um, he's, he's resplendent. It's like a diamond that has a light shine. And so you will see a different facet of it each time that it's turned. He's more than that. And so God alone is worthy of our praise because he alone is a class of his own. So when you look at creation, when you look at, um, he is, why is he a class of his own? Very plain and simple. He is the only uncreated being in the whole of the universe. No one can be like him, you know. None. No one, nothing in the universe can ever compare to him because he is the only uncreated being in the universe. He created everything. Everything started from him, everything sustained by him, everything ends in him and with him. Everything goes back to him. Nothing so he is and all he is worthy of all the praise and all the honor and the thing. Who is and so if if the purpose of creation is to reflect God and worship God, then the purpose of creation as what brother simon said earlier is to boast in god and in god alone you know man could be the apex of his creation before man who was it it was satan he was the most beautiful of the angels but when satan was taken off god created man and god man became the apex of god's creation but it is never the right of man to take glory for himself you know um, and and this is what we see as if you take God out of the equation, who is left? Man. And so the, the purpose of everything here in the world is to get God out so that man can stand on his own and be glorified and be worshipped. But that has never been the stand of man, that has never been the order of things. He has to be God and God alone. And God, and so when man compares himself to God, even though he is the apex of creation, he can never be like God. He can never compare himself to God, and we have seen that in all sorts of stories. You have seen the story of Paul. You know, Paul. If you if you just look at his CV, probably he'll be you know well admired. He has you know he he said, "If I can boast of my CV, I can. I'm I'm all of this thing. You know, if I am a Pharisee, a Pharisee is like a you have nine PhDs on your belt. That's how how thing. But when he came face to face with God and encountered God, he saw that he was nothing but rags, you know, he is there's nothing of himself that's worth pleasing. You know, he said if I can boast I will only boast of him and of what he has done for me. There's another person who probably had a similar experience in the Bible and we know this person as Job. And nobody wants to touch the story of Job because of of that the 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 we all know his story. But if you look at Job, he was also, as Paul says, blameless and righteous. Because he was he followed probably everything to the letter. And there was nothing to... Um, he even that, did not just 100%. He did 110%. In fact, he so knew God, he thought... God was predictable you know that's the same thing as we when we as soon as you know what's what's the thing that causes us to lose wonder is the moment we are able to package the thing before us into something that we think we know and so that's what he did he thought God was predictable so if I do more than a hundred if I sacrifice for sins that are not committed yet for even sins that are not confessed yet maybe God will even bless me more so that's what he thought but what happened was um, in that single day he lost everything. He had one of those moments where like an awful, uh, full of awe moment when he was taken out from that usual status quo reality and thrust into something that he never experienced before. In that moment, everything shattered. Even the box that he had of God, what he thought God was, was shattered. He never he never he he couldn't expect he said i've done everything you know i've been following everything to the book i've done everything but why has this happened to me and his friends came with good heart probably but they also brought their own packages of god that they would like to give to to job and said you might have done this and that and so his heart was full of questions so he questioned god you know what god did he just showed himself he showed him who a class that he was. He said, I this is God, I am me. You know, I created the universe. I did everything. This is the expanse of my governance. Where are you in all of that, Job? <laughs> Just like this. Dust on the ground. And then Job in 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 coming to grasp with God. He come he his questions were not answered. But what he experienced, that awe oh and wonder, brought him to where he should be, at the foot of the Lord. And you know, the Job, the last chapter of Job, is very special because it expresses what you know the experience of every one of us. I think when we are in the presence of the Almighty, he said, "I've heard of you with my ears, but now my eyes have seen you. And lo, I turn, I repent." in dust and ashes. And that is what coming and beholding the presence of God brings us. It brings us to a point of nothingness. There's nothing that we can boast when we are in the presence of God. And truly, as we start in that starting point when we are nothing, that is where actually everything starts. God created the whole universe, everything from nothing. And so unless you come to a point of nothingness, he cannot begin his creative work in you. We have to start from there. So creation, the scripture talks about um, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The meaning of the fear of God in that context is not fear of punishment, but it is the awareness of God. Be able to see him in every in every detail, in everything that you do. That, actually. And when you have that awareness of God, you will know that he is a class of himself. You will know that he is separate. You will know that he is holy. And that should propel you towards him. You remember the experiment? We identify with the one that we, we admire, that we are in awe of. And that, actually, is the start of the journey. The start of actually really knowing him. So, if God is, so in the case of Job, God showed himself, God boasted of himself, and in the case of Job as, as well, oftentimes questions do not need to be answered, it's just what is needed is actually a change of perspective. So as your perspective goes from the ground to him, you know, you, you begin to see that there is actually a purpose in everything, even in your life. God, and, and and so Jesus is, you know, the express revelation of the Father. So remember that when Jesus came, He is also, He came as a man, but He also came as God. And so everything that He did, you know, from the time that He was born, down to where, when He gave, when He went, rose up from heaven, solicited all from people. You know, even though he was born and laid in a manger, you know the angels sang, you know, um, kings and shepherds came to see him. That is how deserving he is of all and so even as he walked to the planet, people were trying to put him in a box, as is usual, the case, but he couldn 't be put in the box. He would always do something different, and everything that he does was a special moment. it caused people. To see him in a different way, it caused people to shift the direction. And that's what, you know, coming an encounter with the Lord is. It always changes us. Now, when Jesus owed Zacchaeus, you know, Zacchaeus, right? When he asked, when he told Zacchaeus that he was coming to him to dine. Zacchaeus didn't expect that, because that was not something that existed in his realm. You know, nobody would love to come and dine with him. But he came to dine, and what does he do? He was in awe. He turned to Christ and he repented and he changed. He was a changed person. A woman who was about to die knew that she was about to die for a crime she knew that she has committed. But what did Jesus do? He forgave her. You know, um, He didn't condemn her. He loved her. And probably this is the very same woman who wept at his feet and dried to, you know, his feet with her hair. Because of that love that she has experienced, that she came to to be in awe of. Um, a pagan ruler like Pilate was in awe of Christ. He saw that this man, even though outside he was garbed with, you know, he was he was he didn't look like a king, but he saw the authority in this person. He was awed not just by the way he answered, but the way he didn't answer. Even though he had authority, he didn't. He withheld. His authority, I mean, he did not, out of love, enforce authority on people. And that changed his heart. In fact, he himself admitted that Christ was king. He placed a mark on the cross. The centurion who was at the foot of the cross saw how much he loved his mom and his his brothers, how much he asked God to forgive the very people who hurted him exclaim surely this was the Christ so Christ God everything that he does is worthy of all he, he he is worthy of all he is worthy of, of wonder and our praise and he continues to do that today maybe not physically but he does that to his people through the Holy Spirit that is within us think of yourself you know the, the time that you had an encounter with him. It could be the long, long while ago, the first time you met him, or even just a few minutes when we were in worship. You know All of those entailed a moment when you found yourself where you're supposed to be. And where is that? At his feet, when you are in home of him. Because God alone is unique and distinct and separate. You cannot be in awe of God without coming to grips with His holiness. You know holiness is always a, a nature of him it 's a facet that only belongs to him. Um, Moses was someone who was you know he was standing sheep in a desert. Of course, if you ask me how many bushfires would he have seen, maybe hundreds for forty years' time. But he saw this one specific bushfire he didn't say. Even though he has packaged this as a... He did say, oh, I, that's an ordinary bushfire. It doesn't excite me at all. You know, I, can, I can just... I, there are more important things that I have to do. But no. That particular thing caught his attention, and what he did was he turned and explored and tried to ask, and what was the Lord's first words? Take off your sandals, for the ground you're standing is holy ground. Who can say that except the one who is separate? The one who is holy. The word holy is one of the many words that I had to unlearn in my journey with him. Because before I would always think that holiness is a standard that we all must try to achieve. Or it's you know a form that we have to put on and then think ourselves that we are holy. But I came to understand, we came to realize. Holiness is essentially being separate, being distinct. And there's no one in the whole of created universe who, is, who has the title except God. Because he's only the one who is creator. And so only he is holy. The ground became holy not because of the ground's merits. You know? The ground became holy because of God who was there. Everything that we do, if it's apart from God, it does not, it's not holy at all. And, and so when, 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 and Moses came to realize that, he came face to face with God, he came to realize that he was nothing before the Lord. And that started his walk with God. And I think the more he came to know God, what happened to Moses, the less he thought of himself. And Moses was known to be what? The humblest person in his time. And which is what Paul was saying, which is what John the Baptist says, You know, the more I know you, let you be greater and greater, let me be less and less. That even I may be just like the ground, but I can be holy because you are there. You know, the ground. It's not about the ground, it's about you. That makes everything holy. Um, So when God got Israel, he he asked them to be his own. He asked them to be holy, for he was holy. And there's a a part in Leviticus that says, Be holy because I made you holy. So why would God therefore ask us to be holy when he knows that we cannot be holy on our own? Right? Why would he ask you to be blameless? You know, the purpose of God is for us to be holy and blameless in his sight. But this is not something that of our own we can do. Again it points us to him. Where do we go? We go back to him and ask him to make us holy because only he is holy. If he is a class A, we're class B. All of creation, the angels, even the devils are created of God, they're in class B. They cannot they're ordinary, they're profane. We cannot be a class A unless He makes us holy first. Think about the, the story of the, the lady in the well. If Jesus had the living water, why would he ask the woman for water, right? It is to point the woman to go back to him. Because the woman has to say, I cannot have give you this water because I have to go back and ask it from you. If God asks you to do something, it's not for you to just grab it and go around and do it. It is for you to go back to him and say, I need you to do this for me, for you it has to go back, he has to be the one to make us holy. He has to make the one um, to be the one to make us this thing. There is, I think, something that all the patriarchs have come to know. Is it? It is that only God that actually is able to make um, to to do what God um, to do the work of God. In Malachi two verse five, God has said, "My covenant spoke." Was with him a covenant of life and peace. I gave them to him. This is called for reverence. He revered me and stood in awe of my name. All of the patriarchs, again, you know, from from Abraham to Jacob, all had moments of awe. They all had moments when they knew that they were nothing before the Lord. When you know the very thing that you know, just earlier in prayer, he said, um, "Abraham had to accept." that he can't have a child, that Sarah was barren. Because we have to be in that place before God can actually start um, doing his work. So, all in awareness of the presence of God is actually repentance. And Jesus says that unless you become like kids, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. For only a child will you be permanently in awe of him and what he chooses to bring to your attention. Only a child will you not be content with the ordinary, but learn to seek the depths of God. Only a child will you be ev- always be asking questions and not put him in a box and say, I know him already. That he does not ex- excite me anymore. The call of holiness is actually a call of every child of God. Because it's the presence of God that makes us holy. The only distinguishing mark, as I said earlier, of the people of God is the presence of God. And only the presence, only the people of God have his presence. It is what makes everything work. It is what makes everything possible. In Ephesians, Paul writes that we are chosen before him, before the foundation of the world, To be holy and blameless in his sight. Both holiness and blameless or righteousness are not attributes of man. They only belong to him. And they can only be possible in him and through him and by by him. Um, 1 Peter 2.19 goes that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, You are God's own possession. You cannot be holy, you cannot be blameless unless you belong to him. The consecration thing is important. We have the word sanctification. We have heard the word consecration. Um, You know, if you look at, it, it surprised me when I was going over and trying to see about how Middle East, Eastern vows, wedding vows. You know, the Middle Eastern wedding vows, when there's an exchange of the ring, you know, the, the usual words that the husband would say to the wife would be, Behold. It starts with the word behold, so that everyone will know, not just the wife. Behold, with this ring, you are consecrated to me as my wife. God has been saying that of his people. Behold, of Israel, behold of us, you know, behold, church, with this seal, you are consecrated to me as my bride. If you do not, if we are not capable of being in awe, even of that phrase, you know, where will we be? You know, we have to be, you know, if, if that doesn't strike us, that, that, is, that is what we are called to be, that is what we are called. You know, to be. We, cannot, we are not deserving, and yet he has consecrated us unto him. The church of Christ is one that is eternally in awe of her groom and what he has done. She doesn't think highly of herself at all, and, but has her eyes set on the one alone who makes her holy like him. She is eternally found at his feet worshipful and grateful for who that she belongs to she is forever loved and loves selflessly in return she has called out of the ordinary mundane existence into a radical state of being second corinthians 6:17 says therefore come out from them you know be separate and i will accept you touch no profane thing says the lord for you are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous and blameless in, in second first Thessalonians, that's what Paul said that you are witnesses of how righteous and blameless we are among you who have received. So the church is called out, which is why what we are ecclesia, you know, called out of the world. Um, she is also placed in the process of being called out without even her knowing that she is placed at the front as Paul was said the end of the, the procession and made a spectacle for the whole universe when you accept your role as the bride of Christ you didn't know that you have been marked to be separate you don't know separated among the people that you know people that you love, among the people of the world, that you are made a spectacle not just to the earth, the people of earth, but to the people in heavenlies as well, to angels and demons alike. But if I am chosen, what, how do I consecrate myself? I don't strive to be different. The only thing I have to do is put my eyes on him and be reminded of that fact every single day everything every day that's that's the purpose you know when when god said, created all the you know the the special days and the assemblies it is to remind people that they are not ordinary that they were chosen for him if you have that in your mind your action will take care of itself you know if you always think of that if if a woman I, <laughs> How does one become a royalty if you are not of royal blood? Normally you're married into royalty, right? So Kate probably became royalty because she married a prince. And her being royalty is incumbent on her marriage to the prince, not of herself. So if she gets divorced, she goes back to who she was. But when she becomes engaged or married to a prince... If she thinks of herself as royalty, therefore everything will follow. She is free to think that she is not married and go about doing the stuff that she would like to do. And There's nothing that's stopping her. But if she knows that she's royalty, then eventually, out of her love for her groom, she will be loving and doing the things that is appropriate for the title. So we are called to be his children. We are called to be his church You know, it's a higher calling. Um, It's not something that we could take um, lightly of. Paul said um, of Esau one time, he said, um, God has called us to be holy and blameless before him, right? But let us not become like Esau, who for a bowl of soup has thrown away his birthright. What is the significance of that? You know, Esau is a typical example of someone who, you know, has had his eyes set on the immediate, on the present. You know, God. Let's look at the, the the promise. God promised Abraham awesome promises, right? And then that promise of Abraham, probably Abraham shared with his son Isaac, and Isaac has shared with his kids, Esau and Jacob. They have heard of these promises countless times. When they were, when Esau and Jacob were around, did they own the land yet? No. Did they have descendants as much as they had? No. But Jacob was different. He believed in the promises of God. He knew what he's called for, what God has promised his grandfather. He longed for it, although the way he tried to get it was wrong. You know, he tried to grab the birthright from, from Esau because he knew that, us, you know, that he wanted to have the blessing all to himself. And he paid for that, Many times over, you know, he he was fooled by his uncle so many times. But even though he got the birthright wrongly, you know, why was Esau called a profane? Why was he called pagan? Why he was called? Because Esau despised his birthright. He despised the promise that he was called to. He said what he said, what is good is that birthright for me. It does not merit me now. I am hungry now. So I'd rather take the bowl of soup and sell my birthright. So many people are like that. you know. We are called to be him. And we have to realize the weight of the calling. Even as we go about our ways, even thus we go about the things that we do, and there's nothing wrong with eating and drinking, getting married and so on, but in spite of all that, we have to have be able to discern the calling upon our lives. The calling to be holy, to be blameless, the calling to be God's own. And not be as Esau, who for the sake of you know, being hungry, sold his birthright. Because I wrote it somewhere... Um, Has the sacrifice of Christ and the rewards that he has promised his bride become too familiar, too future-oriented, too profane or too simple, because you already know what it was, what it is, that it's not a subject of awe anymore? Has it lost its appeal, its value, that it can be traded for a bowl of soup, for something that is immediate? Remember, church, of the calling that you have received. Paul said, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to the Lord. That was the same charge to the Ephesians church. Because they were so busy, thinking that they knew God and that what they are doing was the right package and things. That they... um, Forgot the first love. Let us keep ourselves reminded of who we are and who we will be. Let us not cease to be in this posture of awe and wonder before him. Not constantly live in the fear of the Lord, our Holy One. He has not taken us out of the world that was Christ's prayer, right? He said, Father, I pray that you do not take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the lies of Satan. That you will not be beguiled like Eve was. Um, and the reason why is so that as we come to know Him, the world will come to know Him as well. Um, In Acts, it says that God did this so that that they who seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he may not be far from us, for in him we live and move and have our being. It is possible for the holy to be in the ordinary things that we do. Because he is there. And he says, I am with you. I will not leave you. He is in you. The kingdom of God is in you. And that's the purpose of you know who we are. Um, it may not be related, but I, just, I feel like you know Greg shared one time in staff meeting. He said the truth is given as a sword. Right? It's not to chop other people. It is to chop ourselves. As we get chopped by the truth. As we find ourselves on the ground, as we die to ourselves, new life comes. The resurrected, invincible life. And that, as people see that life that comes out of it, as they see the life of God, class A, in it. You don't need to convince people. They will come and gladly chop themselves as well. (laughs) And that is the purpose of the church. I think, that we may be holy and blameless before him, not of our own, but he who made us his own. And so I'll end with two uh, verses. One is Hebrews twelve twenty-eight to 29. And since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, the eternal promise, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Habakkuk 3.2 says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Lord, we give you glory, for you deserve glory. And there's no one in creation that's as worthy of praise and adoration as you. And Lord, as we see ourselves at your feet, we could help but be thankful and grateful for who you are, that it is not us who chose you, it's you who chose us from the beginning of time, from the creations and the foundations of the earth, so that we may be as you are, holy and blameless before you. Let us be in awe of him every day, let that position of that child that you see be the position of our heart every single day, every single minute.